So let's look at Romans chapter 10. Last week I had asked our um, technical crew to copy some extra CDs of my first message. So that would be uh, three weeks ago. It would be the first Sunday. It was Labor Day weekend. And I laid a lot of groundwork, a lot of information about kingdom builders that we're studying and thinking and praying about this month. It's when you, when you exit, those CDs are free. If you weren't here on that Labor Day weekend, I know there are different colors. Please, to your right is our resource area. So sign up for Christmas Down Ends of the Left. On the right is our resource area. Just walk by, pick up the CD, no cost, nothing to do. I would really urge you to listen to that so you get the full picture of what we're talking about. This month, uh, Kingdom Builders, we're talking about uh, our vision going forward for Calvary, our purpose, how we are living life at the highest level. It's such an important month to think and pray and, and, and grow together as a church family, to get to take ownership of something. Kingdom Builders is, is our way to make provision for the vision. It's how we're being proactive about reaching as many people as we can as fast as we can. That's the heart of God. And so we're engaged with that, and it's been an exciting journey. I want to make sure you have all that information, all right? So I did that for your convenience. CDs are there on your right as you exit at the resource table. Uh, you can go online and download, download the podcast, but whatever way works, please listen to each one of these messages because I'll build on these. So let's go to Romans chapter 10 today. Uh, again, this, we're, we're recognizing God's heart. His purpose for us and the urgency of where we are in time. So let's, let's look at this. This is an amazing three verses. Romans chapter 10. I want to begin reading in verse number 13. I want you to watch the, the logic, the, the plan of God and how we're privileged to be a part of it. So watch this. Verse 13, Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of you are thankful that statement is true, huh? Wow, isn't that amazing? Two things. Everyone. No one's left out. If they do what? Call on the name of the Lord. Not might be, should be, maybe, will be saved. What a statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the foundation of, of, of everything we do. But notice what's behind that. We all get the statement, verse 13. But watch this logic. Follow through with me. Look at verse 14. How then... Can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Right? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? You see that? that that's critical. Let, let, so how do we, this incredible statement, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing statement. But the story behind that, the backstory, is what's so vitally important that we as the church understand. Watch this. Let's go through it again. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? That's kingdom builders. That's why we're here. We have to be proactive about this and understand. Think about right out of our own church family. Alyssa in the Middle East. Joel and Caitlin in Zambia. All right? Here's the incredible message. This, this is what we love. We love to say, you know what? 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're, that's just incredible good news. It's the mercy and the greatness of God. But he says, but wait a moment. How are they going to call on me? You know, if, if they don't believe in me, they're not going to call on me. And how are they going to believe in me unless somebody tells them about me? And, and who's going to tell them about me if somebody's not preaching? And who's going to preach if we don't send them? And so I want you to understand this is, this is so important. We always start here and we say Jesus loves everybody and he does. And we love to talk about anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved and they will. But what you and I need to understand is that the missionary who's preaching, the pastor who's preaching, the message that gets out there, all these partners we're talking about that we're helping in kingdom builders, none of that happens unless we start here at the end of that verse, unless somebody sends them that beautiful process never starts. See, we always look at the missionary, but, but there's no Joel and Caitlin in Zambia. That's just a theory if you guys hadn't sent them there. You understand that? The sender is where everything in the kingdom starts. The person who's willing to say, I'm going to do my role. I may not be the missionary. I may not be the pastor. I may not do project rescue. I may not be the person there. But you know what? When they go, I go. When they go, I'm part of it because we're the ones that sent them. That's kingdom builders. How do we reach more people more quickly than we've ever done? The Bible talks about urgency. We read in John 4. Don't say there's four months to the harvest. It's ready right now. We read in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul says, Pray that the gospel will spread rapidly just like you received in your life. And so those of us who have heard the gospel carry a privilege and a responsibility to do what we can. We can't do it all. We can't do another person's job. But what can we do here together to make sure that we're doing all we can for as many people as possible to hear the good news about Jesus as quickly as we can get that done? Now, I've talked about some of these partners each week, and, and I'm, I want to show you two or three things right here in the beginning, because let me tell you what happens. When I begin to preach, I forget all the other stuff I'm supposed to do. You know, I, I forget to go to this and go to that, so I'm going to do it on the front end of this. I, I want, the first one we're going to see is Project Rescue. Now, we, we think about people in these dire straits, human trafficking, in third world nations and remote places in the world where people aren't, you know... Uh, uh, educated and where we're not in a country like America, but I want to start there and bring it right here to North Alabama. So this is one of our strategic partners. That's why we talk about Kingdom Builders. Let's look at Project Rescue for a moment. Sexual exploitation has been with us for thousands of years. Globalization has only escalated this horrendous evil. We are now at a point in the world where every single nation is involved in some way with sex trafficking. So our world is the dark places where most people have given up. Our goal is through Jesus to reach out to the whole system where you transform people's lives and give them hope and bring about a revolution of justice. I felt the sense of urgency that I need to move there like my, my daughters. I'm not going to wait for anybody else to decide and have a meeting. In the scripture it says, if any woman, man, child, be in Christ, they're in creation. So that promise is just about, okay, we're going to get you into a better place. Over time, as she experiences 
eyes turned without herself. You're not a prostitute. No, you're a daughter of God. Project Rescue. Hope starts here. You know, Project Rescue is one that I personally, uh, I've shared with you, I've been to India five times, and, and Pastor Devereux, as you saw there, uh, began this, um, somebody had to do something. But now it's spread to every country. Uh, India will be one of the worst places. There's so many uh, young women that are taken uh, into sex trafficking. They're slaves. They're, it's, it's human trafficking. They're, slave, they're made slaves to this. And I've seen it. I've seen where they operate. And, and uh, I've, I've spoken to Pastor Devaraj. And I've seen the incredible ministry of these women coming to Christ and being saved. And, and, and a home and uh, provided for them in safety. You have to understand, when these women uh, accept Christ, they, they belong. They're, they're the property of wicked, cruel people. Who, who They don't go and say, you know, I want to quit. Because they're not doing this because they want to. They're enslaved. And to rescue them from this, that's why the term rescue is used. Because not only are they introduced to Christ, but they literally physically have to be rescued. Many of them uh, are bought back out of slavery to be able to be free. And we see that around the world. But what I want you to understand is that America is infested with this issue now. And what may surprise you, because you and I, you see, we're here to do what we can where we are. Do you know that uh, statistics tell us now that 70, 70, I want you to get this, 70% of the women and children brought to this country as sexual slaves, sex trafficking, 70% are funneled into the U.S. through the state of Alabama. 70%. They come right up Interstate 65. A mile and a half from where we are right now to the rest of the nation. So what do we do about that? Do we, do, do we say there's nothing we can do or how do you stop it? Well, let me show you some things that are happening right now. And these things are being done by high school students. This truck, see on the back on the right side, it says STL. See that? Speed the light. That is the giving arm for kingdom builders for high school students around the world. This, they're beginning, this, so see this truck. Now, why do we have this big, you know, ton and a half, two ton? Go to the next pictures. Let me show you what they're pulling. These are called early response vehicles. There's a ministry called Free International, and our students are partnering with them around the country. They're buying these gooseneck trailers that are designed to, to when these ladies and, and, and young people are, are rescued or touched or given an opportunity to escape, they're placed immediately in these vehicles where they are safe, where they can't be seen, and taken to a safe place. There are doctors here. There are counselors here. It's called a quick response vehicle. Right now in America, when, when there any big event, a, a Super Bowl, thousands of human trafficking victims are transported in and put there on site. The Super Bowl, the Kentucky Derby, a big boxing match in Las Vegas, the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Uh, anywhere this is happening, this, this thing is growing. It's infested. And so these are the responses. Aren't you thankful for the creative, smart, dedicated people that are saying, you know what, if the devil can do it, we can rescue them out of here and do a state-of-the-art deal. These are the kinds of things 
that, that, that Christian people are doing. Let, let me explain. Now, in, in Los Angeles, the first time I was involved with this was with Pastor Barnett at the Dream Center in Los Angeles. You know, uh, Los Angeles is a place where many, many teenagers run away. They're going to be a movie star. They're going to be a rock star. And so they run away from home. Now, we don't have a big, big ministry here in our Dream Center for runaway teens because no kid in Iowa is dreaming about running away to Decatur, Alabama. Let's just get real. Okay, we're, you know, you understand. So we're trying to, we're, we, we reach who needs to be reached the way they need to here. You understand? But Los Angeles is a magnet for these kids from all over the country. Here's what they found out in this ministry. The kids have about two weeks. They're out of money. And they're hungry. And they're cold. And you know who grabs them in two weeks? A pimp or a drug dealer. That's all they got left. They're desperate. So here's what happens uh, in, in Los Angeles, the Dream Center. They, they have a ministry that, that, that goes around, and, and, and they're familiar with their areas. Like we do an Adopt-A-Block, they have an area there. And they know, they see the people, they see the kids and the young people out on these street corners at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and they know what's happening in their life. And when they get a chance, when the pimp and the, the, the traffickers aren't there, they'll say, would you like to change? Would you like to be rescued? Do you want to get out of this? They say, yeah, we'd love to, but they'll kill me if they catch me. I can't just walk off. So they say, okay, we're going to drive around the block. And when the van comes around, we're going to open the door and you jump in. We're going to take off. And so that's what they do. And they jump in and they take off. Well, uh, you know, the pimp or the traffickers, they begin to follow them. It's, it's a life and death thing. But what they don't know in Los Angeles, and now this isn't everywhere, is that they're driving them real quickly to the L.A. Dream Center. Now, at the Los Angeles Dream Center, there are 150 men there in a recovery ministry. The majority of them are ex-gangbangers. So there are 150 of these guys there. You got what I'm saying? And they're all tatted up, and they don't look like the ushers here at Calvary. You understand what I'm saying? They, these are mean, bad-looking dudes, but they have met Jesus. So they, they, they rouse them out. And so here's 150 ex-gangbangers standing there on the parking lot. And here comes a van wheeling in with the little girls or whomever they've rescued. And here's the traffickers and pimps running in behind them. And when they see 150 gangbangers, they just turn their car around and go the other direction. They're safe. So here's the deal. What do we do about those kind of things? This is going up and down our highways. This is right here coming through our part of the, This is our watch. And so these are the kind of partnerships we have. But people are thinking and praying, and these amazing ideas are there. But, but they're not going to be there unless somebody sends them. They're not, these, these girls that are going to be rescued are not going to be rescued. See, it gets to that bottom line. And how does this happen unless they're sent? That's why we're talking about kingdom builders. But it's not just Los Angeles, and it's not just in India and other continents, but, but right here in, in, in North Alabama in our dream centers. Here's a young man. Here's Will. And, and let's, this Will came to Christ and found freedom, healing, and deliverance at the Lawrence County Dream Center. This is Will's testimony. This is the last one I'll do this morning. Go back it up. Let's hear Will. Uh, before coming to the Dream Center, I was... Heavily addicted to, to drugs and bound by several several sins, addiction, pornography, lust. Um, meeting Pastor Mitch changed my life. Uh, he provided a place to get a foundation for for God and getting God into my life. And once that happened, Heather and I was able to restore, you know, put God first and restore our relationship, and we're stronger than ever. Um, God has really worked in our life. He has uh, provided the opportunity for me to excel at my job. Um, Heather and I have grown together. 
and our love now for God is as strong as the love for each other. And we owe all that to Pastor Mitch and Miss Sonia and the Dream Center. So you hear Will's testimony. What you didn't have time, we just couldn't do all of it. We had edits some out. Is that when Will came into the Dream Center, uh, fighting these addictions for years that were his marriage was was basically non-existent. He and his wife not together. Uh, he, he he was bound. He came to Christ. What 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 you didn't hear, and it's just amazing to see what God can do in so many ways. His wife had been in an accident. She'd been in a wheelchair for months and hadn't walked. And Will comes and he accepts Christ. His wife begins to attend church at our Dream Center in Lawrence County. And God healed her and raised her up out of that wheelchair. She walks now. There's no more wheelchair. God sovereignly healed his wife. Not only did he, 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 he healed and delivered Will, he healed his wife. He restored their marriage. And Will was managing a, a car wash. And now Will is the district manager of the whole area over all these businesses. Why? Helping other young men get a start in life. Because Jesus is real. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, what do we read? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But someone has to get someone there with the message. Can you say amen to that? So what, why are we doing kingdom builders, pastor? Because we're, this is a generous church. A generous church. And through the years, as need, at the year as needs come up, we respond to those needs. But sometimes we've, we've, honestly, we've been more reactive than proactive in how we've done that. Now listen closely. How many think being reactive is a lot better than being no active? <laughs> All right. So we've been doing something. It's not like we're not, we, but we, you know, we kind of wait till the need comes and then we do something. You got me? And, and, you know, hurricane comes, we take an offering. Uh, you know, it's Christmas time, Jesus sent his friends, we take an offering. The middle of the year, serve the city, we take an offering. What if instead of doing all this, 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 what if once a year we got together, we prayed, we sought God, we said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be part of this so we can get ahead of this thing? Amen? So we can be proactive, not reactive, so we can be intentional. And do more for the Lord in His kingdom. That's what this is all about. So I want to uh, I want to show you an illustration of of how this works. I want you to uh, I want you to look with me and let's go to Second Kings chapter four. Just got a few minutes here. Second Kings four. I want you to see something. We talked about understanding this this whole time is understanding God's heart, doing what matters to God, loving. What God loves, loving who God loves. How many understand that that's our job assignment as the church, that we want to do his will, that we realize we're on this earth for a purpose. I told you last week, if you disconnect from your purpose, your life never works. If I'm not connected to God's purpose, I'm never going to be fulfilled. And my, my marriage doesn't work and my other relationships don't work and my job doesn't work for me. Why? Because I'm searching for Something only God can do to know God and to make him known to be living in the purpose of God. That's that's what this is all about. So last week, remember, I said that there are two things, two strategies Satan really uses to keep you out of your purpose. One is he wants to defeat you because of your past. We talked about that last week. Being defeated because of my past. My past, I've made so many mistakes. I've, I've made so many bad decisions. My past disqualifies me from the purposes of God. And we saw that that's not true. But what I want you to see today is we think about every one of us being part of kingdom builders. Of this whole church family saying, you know what? We're going to take a step. We're going to move in a direction that causes us to be more effective. 
And that causes us to begin to grow in the grace of God individually and as a church. And I want us to look at the second thing. If he, if he cannot rob you of your purpose by defeating you at the past, he tries to discourage you with the present. That your present moment seems to be so difficult or limited that you just disqualify yourself. I believe that there, there, the, you know, someone has said one time, Dr. Miles Monroe, the late Dr. Miles Monroe, I'll never forget this. He said, the greatest deposit of untapped resources on planet Earth. Where would you think that is? Some oil field, a hidden gold mine, a hidden diamond mine in South Africa. The greatest deposit, the greatest repository of untapped wealth and potential in the world. Do you know where it is? The cemeteries of this planet. The people who died and carried their purpose to the grave with them and never became everything God intended them to be. It's a shocking statement, isn't it? The potential, the purpose, what we could be, what we could do that was never obtained and went to the grave unfulfilled. And how does Satan do that? How does he rob us of the incredible privilege of living a life of fulfillment and purpose by defeating you with your past? You're disqualified because of your past. Or saying your present tense is so overwhelming You're just too discouraged to try. So let's look at this lady. We've looked at this passage before, but I want us to see it in a new light. In the light of, how can I be a part of kingdom builders? Can I make a difference? Is is what I do important? Does it matter? Watch this. The widow's oil, 2 Kings 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Have you ever been in that place, and maybe you are right now, where your immediate circumstance is so gripping that it's blinded you to God's plan and His purpose and what is in your life right now? Now, this lady, we, we, she's in a tough place. A wife of a man from the company of the prophets. Her husband was a prophet, a good man, a godly man. She's a godly woman, but he has died, and her income is gone, and she's in debt And her sons are going to be sold as slaves to repay the debt. So all this lady can think about is what she's lost. Have you ever been there? And life will focus us on our losses, on what we do not have, until we cannot see value in anything that remains in that moment. Ma'am, you're lost. You're going down the tube. Your debt is going to destroy you. Your sons are going to be taken from you. Your husband has died. You're going to be left alone and you're in trouble. And he says, listen, I, I want to help you, but you need to tell me, what do you have? We, you, you have to have something. And what is her first response? She said, there is nothing there at all. Do you know what the devil would love for you to do today? Believe there's not one bit of value in your life. For you to look in the mirror and what looks back is someone saying, you're nothing. You have no value. No one cares about you. No one loves you. Your, your circumstance 
Your circumstances say there is no value in your life today. And, and that's one of the greatest lies Satan will ever perpetrate. For, to convince you that there's nothing that's important. There's nothing of value. Can I tell you, look at the question here. What did he say? He said, what do you have? Do you know why most of us in the present fail to say yes to God? Is because we're focused on everything we don't have. You know, we're waiting for the big thing to happen. And God says, what do you have? You know what I've discovered in watching God work over the years? God always begins right where you are. Do you know that we wait for someday and God's just looking at today? We keep waiting for somebody to knock on our door with the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And God's ready to go to work right now. We are discounting. God always begins right where we are. Well, well, God, you know, we have recovery ministries here. You know what the devil would love to tell the men and women in these recovery ministries so that he does, they don't maximize the moment? Here's, this is how it works. He says, well, you know, when you graduate, then you can say, no. You know, or, or I have single people that tell me, well, you know, when I get married, I'm going to start. No. You start where you are. With what you have, with what you can do. Here, here, this is life. Watch this. Here's how we work. This is what the devil lies, and we never get anything done. We never see what we have. When, when you're, you're, you're young and, and, you're, and you're going to school, and you say, you know, when I, when I graduate from, from college, I'm going to really serve God. Okay? And then you say, well, you know, I'm single, so, so when I get married, I'm, I'm really going to serve God. Then you get married and you, and you still, you say, you know what? Uh, once the kids get raised, then I'm going to start serving God. Then the kids graduate, and you say, you know what, I'm so busy in my job. Once I retire, I'm going to start serving God. And then you retire, and you say, you know, I'm too old to serve God now. And it never happened. It's never worked. Do do, do you know, know, there was a couple one time, and they said, they got engaged in their 20s, and they said, when everything is perfect, and all the bills are paid, and everything's just right, we're going to get married. When they were 90 years old, they were still engaged and had never gotten married. They had moved all the way down the line, waking, wait, waiting for perfect to get there. Wasted their life. Waiting on someday. And then here's this other couple. You know what? They love God, love Jesus. And, and, and no, don't get in a rush, any of you right now. I'm not prophesying on anybody right now. All right. So, you know, they're 20-something and they're doing the right thing. They love the Lord and they're married and, or, and they're getting gay or want to get engaged. And, 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 and they got a job. And, you know, listen to me, pal, sir, buddy, buddy. Listen, sir, sir, sir. Listen. God gave Adam a job before he gave him a wife. Everybody just get some help on that. Uh-uh. Listen, he can't get a job now. He's not going to get a job later. Take a long look at him. You, <laughs> Listen, you, guys, people got it mixed up today. You retire at the end of your life. You don't retire on the front of your life. You work, and then if you save some money, you can retire. Otherwise, you're just going to keep working the rest of your life. I'll see you at Walmart when I come in. Huh? Never mind. So here, here's the thing. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see is this. This waiting, 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 waiting. God is ready right now. You understand that? Stop letting the present discourage you. Stop, you know, well, I don't have this and I lost that and that is gone and this is gone and there's nothing here. He, he said, this is what God will always say to you, folks. This is a great thing about a church like Calvary. Diversity and 
people from every age group and demographic and ethnic group and, and socioeconomic level. And this is what God says to us. He says, if everybody in this church will take a second look at what you have, I'll start right there and you'll be shocked at what I can do with you. Does everybody understand that? That's all he's asking. God does not concern himself with what you do not have. He's focused on what you have. Now watch this. He said, ma'am, you've got to find something. What's in your house? She said, there's nothing. And then she takes a second look. She says, well, uh, there's a little oil here in the house. Now that I think about it, I've, I've got this. It's, but, you know, what, in other words, what did she say? I th- in my mind, that's nothing. So we discount the very thing that God wants to use to turn your life around. She says, there's nothing. I, well, I got this oil. He said, okay, let's start there. Do you know that that's what God is looking for in your life today? For you to give him a starting place. I'm not talking to somebody that's not saved. I'm talking to Christians right now. To give him a starting place. To show you the value of your life. Here's what I've learned. God will never do the things I can do for myself. But he will do the things I cannot do. Did everybody understand that? Stop waiting on God to do what you can and do it. And when you get to the end of your can, when you get to your cannot, God starts right there. That's where God begins to go to work. How many understand that? If I will walk to the end of what I can do, I will discover the beginning of what God can do. Many of us have never discovered what God can do because we've never walked to the end of our obedience. We've never done everything I can do. See, the old time preacher, I heard him say, if God tells me to run through that wall, my job is to start running and his job is to make a hole before I get there. Does that work? See, now, we, we don't like that. No, this is 2017, and we're educated and calculated and, and you know, formulated. And so we, we've got to call a, a, a committee and, 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 and get everybody together and decide what the structural resistance of the wall is and how large the hole would need to be and how much time it would take for the engineers to come in and cut the hole in the wall so the roof doesn't fall. And then I'm going to think about running. You missed it. And then there's this other guy. God says, go, and he takes off. And he comes back and tells you, God, I ran right through the wall. And everybody who's over here on the calculator says, I don't believe that. Yeah, that's your problem. He just ran through the wall. Start where you can. It's in your hand. She said, you have a little bit of oil. She says, that's all I have. See, God always wants to start where you are. I told the the 9 o'clock, I've read this passage a hundred times, more than a hundred times. I've preached from it. I've taught from it. I've, it, it for different illustrations. But this month, while I'm praying over these messages and praying, God gives me fresh food for you, fresh manna. The Holy Spirit showed me something I'd never seen before in this passage. Isn't it amazing that the Bible's a living word? It's not a dead history book. The breath of God's in this thing. And as you pray and study, the Holy Spirit says, let me take you through some things. So I'm reading this again. After all these years. And I read this. I have nothing there but a little bit of oil. And the Holy Spirit says, stop and read that again. So I said, okay, uh, nothing but a little bit of oil. Read it again. Nothing but a little bit of oil. Yes, sir. He said, now back up. He said, who was her husband? See, I hadn't thought about that in connection with oil. Her husband was a prophet. Okay, and watch this. So you know what? When he said a little bit of oil, we're in a prophet's house right now. This wasn't ordinary oil. You're reading the Old Testament. There was an anointing oil these prophets had with them. And I began to realize, oh, that's why the oil's still there. This wasn't cooking oil. This wasn't canola. You understand? 
This wasn't virgin olive oil. She wasn't about to make something. This was the prophet's oil. That's why it was sitting there. That's why she forgot about it. Are you getting this? This was oil. Do you know what that means? It's representative of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not cooking oil that you eat and use on yourself. It's something God puts on your life. It's not for you. It's for somebody else. Is anybody listening to me right now? It's the element. Do you know all you need is a little bit of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and every limitation in your life backs up and gives up. When we find the anointing of God in a desperate situation, God says, all I need is for you to recognize my anointing breaks every chain that's on your life. See, we see you don't have to have that oil is just a symbolic uh, point of contact. Listen, I've been to churches. I'll never forget. I went one place. I guess people aren't sure the Holy Spirit's going to do it. So they got a bucket of anointing oil. I, I had enough oil poured on me. I had to throw my suit away. You ever been to that church? I mean, you, you're going to anoint you with oil and here it comes. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. It's not the oil. It's the God of the oil. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? See, you, we don't have to, we don't have to fake it till we make it. We know the God who's able. Come on. We just say a little bit of anointing or walk in the face of doubt and lack and pain and discouragement and the anointing will break that yoke. And he said, y'all, she said, I've just got a little of the prophet's oil. He said, that's all I need to do something big in your life. Today, You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're in touch with the God who is big enough to do anything. And the whole learned lesson for us is that we do not have to allow the lack of the present moment to discourage us from God's purposes in our life. She had to look twice. She said, well, I've got some oil. Now watch what he says. Look at verse 3. He says, okay, in other words, my words, he says, okay, let's get started. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Now, he gave her a little hint. Look at this. He said, don't ask for just a few. But he still left in her hands the decision about how many she would gather. Okay? Then he says, go inside, shut the door behind you, and pour, you and your sons pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she said, boys, let's go gather empty vessels. Now, watch this. Our thinking is, I want to help you with something. We're, we're learning how to be a kingdom builder church. We're, we're seizing this strategic moment we're in. Our thinking is, if I don't have anything, if I'm destitute, if I'm in debt, if I'm afraid for my life, and all I have is a little bit of oil, if I'm going to go send my boys through the neighborhood collecting vessels, I'm going to ask for somebody to put something in that vessel. I don't want your empty vessel. i got empty vessels. I want some of your oil. I want what you have. I want you to give me something. Remember the beggar and the blessing prayer that I taught you? Remember the difference of the two? So here's what happened. Human nature says, I need your oil. But the Spirit of God says, God has the oil. He just needs the opportunity. How many heard what I just said? So he said, you go gather things that other people don't need anymore. You go grab the empty things and the throwaways and the unimportant things. And you bring those to God and God will fill them up. See, I told you when we started Calvary, I'm praying in the little storefront on my face before God. And God said, George Sawyer, if you will build a church that reaches people no one else cares about, I will always take care of you. So we've gone after that. Now, here's what I've learned over the years. You know, we, we, we try to take care of a lot of people. 
And this is what God does at Calvary. It's so good and kind. I've learned to pray like this. God, send us people we can help. Help us go find the people that need our help. But Lord, send me some people to help us help them. (laughs) Now, you're in one of two categories today. All right. Either you're here today because you need the help, the desperate help of God. And you're in the right place because he's a big God. Or he's helped you. And now you're here to help us help those people. How many see what I just said? Lord, we need people. We want people we can help. But we also need some people to help us help those people. And that's what Kingdom Builders is all about. How are they going to believe if they never heard? And how are they going to hurt if nobody tells them the good news? And how is somebody going to tell them the good news unless we get them there at the right place at the right time? So empty vessels don't seem to help people that are in lack unless they know their God. Because those empty things just become opportunities for God to show his greatness. So he says this twice. Watch this. Verse 4, then go inside and shut the door behind you. Shut the door. And you and your sons pour all into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse, the next verse, verse 5. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. Two times he said, you need to shut the door. Do you know there are moments in your life, listen to me, where we move out of the defeat of the past, where we get over the discouragement of the present because we've encountered God. Listen to me closely. Where you're going to have to shut the door on the curious and the indifferent and the uncommitted, and you're going to have to back yourself in a place with God. God, I need to meet with God. I need to hear what God says. I need to see the hand of God. Do you know where the miracle happened for her when she shut the door on every other option in her life? Did you get that? See, when, 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 uh, when God is all you have will be the first time you ever discover really God is all you need. Did you hear what I said? When God is all you have, that's the only time you'll ever really believe that God is all you need. So he said, Shut the door. Now, here's what religion says. Religion says you're never going to discover that God is all you need till God is all you have. So God's going to make you broken. God's going to make you sick. And God's going to tear your life up and steal everything from you. So so you're desperate. And then you'll meet with God. You know, that doesn't sound like the God in my Bible. What about yours? Or maybe you're a strong enough Christian and mature enough in your faith and you love God enough where you say, on my own, I choose to shut the door on everything else and get along with God. And I'm not coming out of this place till I've met with Almighty God. God, not because you ripped it out of my hands. I'm going to lay these things on the altar. Is anybody tracking with me right now? You follow me? Anybody? You understand? You didn't rip it out of my hands. I gave it to you. You didn't beat me up. I gave it to you. You didn't make me sick. You don't deal with sickness. You're the healer, not the sick giver. Come on. If you think God made you sick to teach you a lesson, then why are you going to the doctor trying to get out of the will of God? People tell me that. Well, I believe God made me sick. Well, then get up out of the hospital and go home and die. If God made you sick, why are you fighting the will of God in the hospital? Why are you paying the doctor to get out of the will of God? If it's God's will for you to be sick, stay home and be sick. See, you don't believe that yourself. He doesn't steal. He's not the thief. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to give you life more abundant. Jesus took stripes on his back to make you well, not make you sick. So we need to stop thinking, well, the only time I can get along with God is if God beats me up. What if we get along with God because we love him more than all this stuff? 
What if we realize you can give me all this, but I want Jesus? What if we ever get to the place that no, no matter what I have, I can have a million dollars in the bank and three houses and ten cars. But if I don't have Jesus, I am empty on the inside. And I am willing to lay that down until I find him in my life. Shut the door and put everything else out of the way. And we might just find the power of God waiting for us on the inside of that. See, it's not what I have to do, it's what I choose to do that makes me a man or a woman of God. See, the real sacrifice in, in Scripture is not the one you forced me to give, it's the one I chose to give to you. That's worship at the highest level. And so they go behind the closed door, they shut the door, and there they pour, and they pour, and they pour. And what happens? Watch this, verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Don't you know they were excited by that time? Don't you know that's a little scary to pour that oil out the first time? And now she's filled up every vessel those boys have brought in. And she just said, you know, they're excited. They're like, whoa. You know, it's easy to have faith once the miracle starts, right? So they're saying, bring me another one. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. When they first walked in that room, don't you know they stood there and looked. Oh, my God. Look at all these empty jars. And by the end of the pouring session, they're saying, man, I wish we had some more empty jars. I remember when we built... The auditorium over on Glen Street we moved, it, and Beltline, it's four times the size of the other auditorium we were meeting in. And I remember the Saturday night before we had the first service in there. I've told you this before. I walked, you know, we'd worked and pushed and worked and pushed to get everything done. Just work, 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 push, 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 pray, push, pray, give, sacrifice. And, you know, so just it caught up in the work. And so finally, it's the next morning. I walked in there and walked up on the platform and stood like there and looked at that place and back and everything. And I thought, my God in heaven, what was wrong with me? I must have lost my mind. It looked like the Astrodome. I'm like, I'm going to get embarrassed tomorrow. We're going to come in here and, and, you know, what have I done? This is crazy. I must have lost my mind. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I was scared to death. I went home that night. I couldn't hardly go to sleep. Not because of excitement, because of fear. I was like, my God. I'll never forget walking into that place the next day. Look, that thing was full. I was like, Jesus, what have you done? Just full. Just full. And, and, and the night before, it looked like, looked like that auditorium would seat 50,000 to me, you know, when it's empty. And you know what happened? I was just trying to do what God told me to do. Just trying to do what he told me to do and do what he told me to do. And, and, and when it got up to time for the miracle, I was just like, oh, God, you, what are you going to do, God? And you know what God did? He filled it up. He, 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 and, and then, of course, you know, when I walked in there the next day and it was full, I was like, I knew this was going to happen. I just thank you, Jesus. No, I didn't really say that. I didn't say that. I was too thankful. I was like, oh, God, thank you. But, you know, once the miracle starts, it's easy to have faith. It's the Saturday night before where you've got to decide, am I going to come tomorrow? Because there was a thought, you know, if I'd leave right now, <laughs> just drive out of town in dark, nobody can blame me for this crazy thing that happened here. But I said, i got to get up, you know, come to pastor and go tomorrow. And, you know, when, when you start to pour, but then... He said, Mom, there's no more. And the Bible says what happened? The oil stopped. She determined her destiny by the number of empty jars they brought in. How big's your God today? How big's your God today? How many things that are empty do you believe God can fill in your life? How, how often will we say, I have a little bit of oil, but I've got a great big God. Everybody understand the difference in that? The measure of my future is not what I hold today. It's the greatness of God's promise in my life. So I'm going to pour. I'm going to do what he said. So watch what happens then. So uh, 
Verse 7, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Do you understand what happened? You just read that. In one setting, in one moment, so much oil came in that place in those vessels. Those boys must have gotten a lot. They paid off every debt and lived the rest of their life on the overflow in the room that day. Do you understand? See, this is why I love what I'm doing because uh, the way we're doing this. Because everybody that teaches these things, you think, I know what's going to happen. They're at church. Pastor's talking about this. He's going to take an offering. La, la, la. I'm not going to take one today. Okay? Did you hear what I just did? Yeah. We're, there's, this, this is not for one offering. This is for our lifestyle for us. So we begin to understand. I want to t- make a powerful statement to you. You know what happened when they did what they could with what they had? When, when the lady said, I'm going to give you the last thing I had, I thought it was nothing, but if you want it, here it is. What happened? You got, she got out of debt and began to live on an overflow. Do you realize that, that when you begin to do the things that God told you and you become obedient to God, that God can break the cycle of debt and lack out of your life and that God can put you over here and you're living on an overflow? How many hear what I'm saying? This isn't just the God of 2 Kings 4. He's the same God today. And there are moments in our life where God gives us an opportunity to begin to look at Him and ourselves in a different way and say yes to God. And when we do, God breaks the cycle that kept us in debt and lack and puts your life on the other side and you begin to have all you need to live for God. How many want to live a life like that? In every single way. That's the plan of God. Now, I've got a couple of minutes. I want to close with this. Let me show you how this works. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there. We're going to close with this. Second Corinthians 9. Let me show you the New Testament picture. I'll pick this up next week. Second Corinthians 9. Absolutely amazing. It's amazing. To see what God does with people who will simply start where they are. God, how do I become a part of kingdom builders? I don't have this and I don't have that. And the law said, you do what you can with what you have. And God says, I'm going to work in that place right there. Second Corinthians 9, verse 10. Let's look at this together. And then we're going to pray and dismiss. Watch this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. We could say today, what do we leave? Now, he who gives oil to the widow. Everybody with me? See what we're reading here? He who supplies seed to the store gives all to the widow. And bread for food, watch this, will supply and increase your store of seed. A wise farmer never eats his seed. Seed is what he plants, not what he eats. Everybody with me? So he says, I'm not only going to provide oil or seed or something that you can give with your hand. He said, I'm going to increase your store of seed. Not what you eat, but what you sow. He said, I will increase. I'll start where you are and increase your ability to sow. Watch this. Why? Why? And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll never have a greater harvest until you plant more seed. Everybody with me? But he gave the widow the oil. And she was faithful with the oil. And what did God do? Increase her oil. Keep reading. You'll be made rich in every way. Now, some people want to put a period right there. Shame on them. Are you with me? You'll be made rich in every way. In every way, God makes your life fulfilled. Why? Why? Look at this. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Watch what happens when we get in this cycle. What happens? And through us, your generosity will result 
and thanksgiving to God. God does something so amazing that people don't look at you and me. They look at God and say, thank you, God. Only God could have done this thing. How many want to be a part of a God-sized response to this world? All right, keep reading. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. People just can't thank God enough. But watch this. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself. Proved yourself. Do you know there are literally actions of... And let me read the rest of it. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Watch this real closely. He said, you proved yourself. How do I prove my faith is genuine because I obey what God tells me to do. You know, we, I don't have time to do a lot of this, but I remember, you know, there are a lot of people that talk a good talk. How many understand what I'm saying? But they don't walk a good walk. I related when I played football, I remember we had these guys, we used to call them behind their back, practice all-stars. Because they were awesome in practice. But when the lights came on, couldn't find them, guys. Get tackled one time real hard. They're sitting on the bench. My ankle. Oh. They never proved herself. See, there's one thing to talk it. Everybody with me? Talk, 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 talk. I'm good. I'm good. I'm the bad. I'm the best. I love God. I trust God. I believe God. I'm this and that. He says, there's a way you can prove that. How do I prove it? I trust him enough to do what he said. And that obedience causes people to be blessed. You know what? I want to be the real deal as a Christian. I don't want to, I want to be the real deal as a pastor. I don't want to just come in here and talk theory. I don't want to just come in and have our nice, sweet little place to pray and hide and be blessed. And the rest of the world is just reeling. I want to be the people that said, you know what? Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how do they call on the one whom they not believe? And how do they believe if somebody doesn't tell them? And how does somebody tell them if somebody doesn't send them? So you know what I'd like to say to God? God, we're willing to sin. We're willing to do what we can with what we have in our hand. We're willing for you to look at us and say, I put a little bit of oil and you did something with it. And now I'm going to increase the size of your oil so that your harvest is greater, so that men are going to praise God. I'm going to give you a chance to prove you mean what you say, that you really love me. And when we do that, God says, I'm going to work in that place. That's where we are right now. It's an amazing place. It's not just to grab an offering this Sunday. It's for you and I to grow up in our faith and be strong in our faith and begin to listen to God and change it. We're not just doing the beggar prayer. We're the blesser prayer now. We're beginning to walk in something that causes men to praise God and it changes and make a difference. What I want you to see today right now is that God wants to start right where you are. Would you stand with me? Pastor Joy, come listen closely while you stand. Stand with me, please. God wants you to know that right where you are, there's something in your life. Are you listening to me? That God wants to take and change where you're going in the future. Listen closely. I feel this so strongly today. Listen closely. Do you know you may be in a place where you say, Pastor, I am facing such overwhelming odds in my present. I don't know what I'm going to do. There's nothing I can do. Everything's gone. Everything's out of this way. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You can pray one more prayer. You can pray one more prayer. You can choose to believe one more day. You can say, I'm not going to give up. I believe God's going to do what he said. 
You can praise Him one more time when you don't feel like it. Have you ever praised God when you didn't feel like it? Have you ever said, I'm going to praise you because of who you are, not because of how I feel? I'm going to praise you. Have you ever done Second Chronicles 20? I'm surrounded with three armies and they're going to annihilate us. But while I'm walking into battle, I'm going to put the choir in front and just say, God is good. And when you got there, you said, my Lord, he defeated them before I showed up. If your marriage is ripping apart at the seams and there's no way you think it's going to work, instead of giving up today, why don't you try one more day? See, you say, I don't have anything left. Yes, you do. You've got one more prayer left. What if you were one prayer from the next breakthrough in your life? What if life, instead of giving up, you said, you know what? I'm going to draw a line right here. I'm going to draw a line. And I'm not going to back off from this. This is all I've got. God, I trust you. Would you give him that today? Would you say, God, I trust you? Would you say, you know, I've given the devil all his territory in my life and I'm not going to give him any more territory. God, I trust you. Could you say, God, I thank you. When you don't understand and the prayer doesn't, didn't get answered yet, can you still raise your hands and say, you're a good, good father. You're perfect in all your ways. Could you trust him enough to say your ways are higher than my ways and you're doing something I don't see, but I believe you're working for my good? Could you say in all things he works together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose? So we've talked about purpose. Could you say, I've got that left today. He can start where I am with what I have. I've got that left. I'm going to trust. I'm going to stand. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just not going to back up anymore. Would you do that in your faith today? In your biggest crisis, draw a line and say, no more retreat. No more surrender. No more backing up. God, I trust you. Let's pray together right now. Father, you always start right where we are. Lord, what we have may seem so small compared to the crisis in front of us. But God, you're the God who has called us, who has saved us, who has brought us in to be a part of your ministry, a part of your team to build your kingdom. God, you've taken our lives that were shattered and broken and, and we thought there was no more purpose and we never get another chance. And you've taken us after all the things we've done and you said, I love you, I forgive you and I want you to be part of what I do. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for never giving up on us. So today, we're going to return that to you, God. Today, Father, we're going to say, I'm going to draw a line and I have very little left. In fact, I thought I had nothing, but today I realize I can pray one more time. I can praise one more time. I can stand one more day. I can say to you that this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to stand in it and praise my God. Lord, today we stand. Today we stand. You know, I'm not going to call you forward on this, but I think it's important for you to make a response to the Lord just right where you are. Heads are bowed. Everybody's praying. And you say, Pastor, I'm facing some mountains, but I am choosing today to give God what I have. I'm going to stand. If that's where you are, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I need to take a stand. I've got to take a stand, Pastor. No more retreat. No more retreat. I must take a stand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Let's pray together right now. Father, you see the hearts behind those hands. You see where your people are today. Lord, I declare the devil is a liar. He is an accuser. He is the thief who comes to steal every good thing God does, every plan and purpose for these men and women that love you that are in this room today. 
So, Lord, I pray over them strength and encouragement. Lord, let them take one more look. Let them find a little bit of oil. Let them recognize what the anointing of your spirit can do to change everything. Lord, just a little is all we need. Just a touch from God. Lord, you can do something in this moment that breaks chains, that restores faith, that renews their hope. God, I pray over the men and women in this room, my family, God, my brothers, my sisters, that, Lord, today Satan's lies will be defeated and exposed. And we will find that little place of anointing in our life and say, God, I give it to you. Lord, I put it in your hands. I refuse to walk off. I refuse to give up. God, we say to you today, the present will not discourage us because our future is too bright to give up on. Lord, right in the middle of lack, there's a release of abundance. There's debt that's canceled and overflow that's coming. And Lord, you're going to take care of this moment. We trust you. We'll not walk away. Your word says that if we will not become weary in doing well, we will reap our harvest in the timing and season of God. Lord, give strength to your people today. Give encouragement to your people today. Let your hand of favor and blessing rest on us and let us become men and women of faith and insight. Let us see what you've left in us, God. And may we restore and give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.